Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast where we explore stories of lives changed by assisted reproductive technology. I'm Ellen Trackman. I'm an attorney specialized in assisted reproductive technology law. I also write a weekly legal column of the same name uh, as the podcast, I Want to Put a Baby in You, for the website Above the Law, where I focus on legal issues of assisted reproductive technology. And I co-own Bright Futures Families and Colorado Surrogacy with my sister and co-host, Jennifer White. What? You, you just took like all of my credentials away from me. All right, fine. I'm Jennifer White. Uh, I am the owner you, and that director. Being, being my sister, that being your number one credential? Is that, no. it, being your sister is the most important credential out there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so I am Jennifer White. I am the co-owner and director of Bright Futures Families, which is, uh, we also have the under our umbrella, Colorado Surrogacy, Montana Surrogacy, and New Mexico Surrogacy. And I, I love what I do. You know, I, I juggle it and having a family and trying to just stay afloat in life, probably like all of us. So if anybody is interested out there in getting in touch with us, we have a phone number that you can, you know, call in, leave us messages, or you can even text us messages. And as we get going, we would love to read some of those out on the air. The number is 303-997-1903. Once again, please do. We love to hear from people. 303-997-1903. And Honestly, today, the person we're interviewing today, she just has such a breadth and depth of knowledge in this field. Um, Gail Anderson is an incredible person. She's the founder and director of Donor Concierge, which we love. It's like an agency of agencies. They they bring everybody together and help people find their their really perfect match. On, on top of that, she is actually she has her degree in psychology, her master's in psychology from Harvard University. So she she's no slouch on the on the brain department there. And I, I also have the honor of knowing um, Gail through Seeds, which is the Society for Ethics in Egg Donation and Surrogacy. So she's actually a board member there and very active in uh, our community and how we help shape and make sure we are ethical in what we do every day. So. W- Without any further ado, we really love talking to Gail. So. I'm honored to be here today with Gail Sexton Anderson, who is the founder of Donor Concierge. Gail has such um, such experience, such background, so I will mostly let uh, Gail do her own introduction to explain all that she all that she has done in this area, and then we'll kind of get into our interview. Gail, do you mind introducing yourself? So I am Gail Sexton Anderson, the founder and CEO of Donor Concierge. And what Donor Concierge is, is an agency, or actually it's not an agency, we're a service. We help intended parents to find egg donors, surrogates, and sometimes sperm donors who will fit their family and um, so that they can move forward more quickly. And when it comes to surrogacy, it's so they can find a surrogate who is ready and a good fit in terms of they can get along well and feel supported and uh, do so a little bit more quickly than they might do so on their own signing up with a single agency. So we work with many agencies. 
And for those, and for our listeners who aren't kind of insiders of how an agency normally works, do you mind kind of explaining the difference about how an agency works sure. versus how donor concierge um, works? What agencies do is, and I'll use the um, an egg donor agency as an example. What egg donor agencies do is they reach out and they uh, recruit egg donors and they do some initial um, questions with them, have them fill out a profile, and they have their collection of of egg donor candidates. And there are over 100 agencies across the country, each with their own group of egg donors. What we do is we don't have any egg donors of our own, but what we help intended parents who are looking for someone with very specific characteristics, such as um, maybe they're looking for a Chinese donor or an Indian donor or, um, a, or a Jewish donor. And no one agency has a collection of people that fit that uh criteria that they're looking for that would make uh, the intended parents feel like they found someone that sort of fits in their family because that's who they are. So mm-hmm. we reach out on behalf of our intended parents to over 100 agencies across the country to help them find someone who is a good fit for them. And then we actually share with them many possible profiles and help them to kind of work through all of that so that they can make a decision and be able to go forward and go to cycle and create their family. And I'm curious, I actually, I don't know the answer to this. Uh, the kind of agency of agencies, that's how I kind of think of you guys. Are there a lot of you or do you know how many kind of competitors you have out there? No, there really aren't. Um, I founded this and, and it was sort of my brainchild many years ago, almost, uh, gosh, almost 12 years ago, we actually started, I was actually doing this sort of work a little bit before that. Um, I started in this field 20 years ago, and at that time, uh, in the early days of egg donation and surrogacy both, you were very much limited by just, you know, maybe your clinic might have eight donors, and you could choose one mm-hmm. of those people, and maybe the one you want isn't available. And so you'd have to wait until it was your turn to be able to cycle, and if you were lucky, maybe she'd go forward. So, but I found that to be very difficult for intended parents to kind of find what they want, be able to create their family without having to wait years until, you know, the one is available. So um, knowing how difficult it was for people to find someone that they could relate to who felt like uh, part of their their tribe, um, I started uh, helping them to find someone by, initially it would be the agency I had, was working within might not have, have had a donor that was a good fit. And I would say, why don't you try these other agencies? So they would come back to me eventually saying, oh, I finally found someone and I really appreciate your help. Did, did your employer appreciate know. that? <laughs> Go elsewhere. <laughs> uh, they probably did not know. And, and I did this when I had my own agency as well. They, they do now. now. They do. Um, and, and oh, well. <laughs> um, but, you know, no one agency is going to have the perfect donor for every, every intended parent. And, and right. Well, and exactly. we, I mean, we even feel that way on our side. I mean, there's just more people out there right. than anybody can ever help. And so it's, you, exactly. choices it's, are good. It, it's good to have choices. And, and I think that, that, uh, there's a danger in seeing, you know, eggs or, um, or women who are surrogates as sort of, you know, like just the ready uterus or that eggs are eggs and they're interchangeable, you know, neither are interchangeable. You always have to kind of find the right combination that, so that everyone is comfortable and happy going forward. So tell us a little bit about your, I mean, you, you've talked about what kind of started the, the business aspect. What was your background before that? What what kind of led you towards this industry and, and towards doing this? 
Well, my background, um, I have a master's in counseling um, from Harvard Graduate School of Education. And um, what, and, and at one point I, I had planned on, you know, going on to get my PhD, but in, in between I was having my own family. And um, I know that, that, you know, my, I had my son um, before I started uh, graduate school for my master's. And it's quite a challenge to, to go to graduate school when you've got a, you know, a, a toddler. <laughs> and uh, I just found that, that I wanted to be home with my kids. And so when I had my, um, my second child, rather than going back and, and getting my PhD, I was home with my kids for a few years. And, and when, during that time, we wound up moving from the East Coast to California and my next door neighbor had an egg donor program that she, and then she eventually had an egg donor and surrogacy program. So, um, so it's purely real estate based that you bought a house. Much. Next- <laughs> I bought a house. It was real estate based, but it was something I always had a passion for sort of life sciences and people wanting to grow their families. And I just realized when I started working for my neighbor, which I hadn't even necessarily planned, it just sort of, uh, happened, but I was always intrinsically interested in this. And when I did start working for my neighbor, I loved helping people to feel at ease with what can be really a very Orwellian decision and choice. Cause no one grows up saying, Oh, mm-hmm. I can't wait to pick my egg donor. Can't wait to get matched with a surrogate, you know, unless, you know, unless you are, you know, a gay couple. And then in that case, and even that it's like, you have to, you're probably going to be a young gay man who goes, yay. Because when, you know, for many, many years, it was never an option for um, same-sex couples to, you know, choose to create their family in this way or have a family at all. So um, it's something that uh, when I started working uh, for my neighbor, I found that I loved being able to put people at ease and to feel more comfortable with their their choices and decisions. And that's what really where my passion grew from is helping them to uh, to find what they wanted and to feel more comfortable in their choices, decisions, not just what they wanted, but what felt right, what was, you know, comfortable. So it's not a case of just shopping. It's, it's more of like feeling that you're making the right choice. Like dating. Like dating in a sense. Yeah. Only you don't always get to meet. So. Um, So I always find like the personal stories of those who go through this and um, what they go through are kind of the most compelling for people to understand what we do. Do you have Mm -hmm. any um, particular stories of your clients that are heartwarming or dramatic that stands out to you that kind of help people understand what it is you do? Sure. Um, And and there's so many because I've worked with um, intended parents that have had anywhere from three IVF cycles that failed to 17 or 18 IVF cycles that have failed. Wow. And, you know, so it's sort of that hope springs eternal and they really, you know, it's hard for them to make that leap from being able to go forward with their own genetics to being able to, um, you know, let go of that. And it really is something where, it's, they have to go through a grieving process. They have to grieve the loss of the biological child that they always dreamed they'd have, that they're not going to have. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and that's, yeah. That, oh, I'll go ahead. And just to give like, sorry, just to give a little color on what going through an IVF cycle mm-hmm. would be for someone just like, what is IVF? I mean, that is months of, well, two or three weeks at least of self-injections of these needles and these hormones and having eggs retrieved and having the fertilized, hoping the embryos are made, transferring an embryo, waiting to find out if you're pregnant. And then so someone who's gone through 16, 17 
IVF cycles basically has done, you know, a year, <laughs> a good portion of yes. years injecting themselves, waiting to find out if they're pregnant, and then being disappointed yes. to know that they yeah, were I've, not I've and then didn't work. Ten years. Ten years. Oh, yes. Exactly. <clears throat> and most people can't afford to do that right. many it, it, because it is so prohibitively expensive. Um, so, you know, th- those that can do that many cycles are, you know, on one level, sort of, it's a privilege that they can do that, but it's also a nightmare that they've been going through for years and years and years. So um, not something you'd want to wish on on anyone. Um, and, uh, and you know, it's, it's like every month you go through a, a, a devastating loss of it didn't work or or the the elation that maybe it worked but then you have a miscarriage so it's something that it's just it's that people often liken it to um to having cancer now granted it probably won't kill you but it feels often to the women that are going through it very much like uh that type of of uh, horrendous experience Right. So your client who had 17 IVF, failed IVF cycles, did you help them have a baby in the end? Uh, yes. Um, in fact, uh, well, actually, I say yes, because there have been many that have sort of fallen into that. I'm currently working with someone who um, has, you know, traveled all over the world for treatment, um, you know, only to find out that she really can't carry. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, um, so no, not only can she not use her own genetics, she can't carry. Um, and so, um, at this point, having done so many, uh, cycles, she's at a point where she's like, that's fine. You know, um, it's, you know, she's already been through an awful lot to kind of get to this point. Um, but you know, it, it, they, we are, are working with them currently, but there've been so many. And, and the biggest joy that we get is seeing the, um, you know, getting the email with pictures of their, their baby. Um, and that's something that, you know, it's like mm-hmm. still for our team here, we, it, it brings tears to our eyes and, and we, uh, we, we have them printed up and we stick them on our little, we have a screen that we stick them all on. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's God. great. It's our inspiration. <laughs> I say, I, yeah, exactly. I say it has to be your like your nice inspiration yeah. board. So, you know, I mean, I, I, we just need to know what is one of the funniest. What are the funniest questions that you sometimes hear? And I mean, I know Ellen has some really great ones, and I'll let her go on because on the legal side, she gets a lot of funny questions. But we, I'd love to hear. I'm sure what some of them that you are funny, strange, you know, just interesting questions that you get or things you have to deal with. Yeah. I'm thinking like, what, what haven't I heard, you know? I, and, and I think that largely because, you know, any intended parent going into this, um, just it's, it's all new and, and it's stressful and, you know, they, they just, you know, they don't know kind of, they don't know what they don't know and they don't know what they can ask and what's, what's, you know, um, so they're, they're just, <laughs> and I'm not giving you a really great answer just because I'm thinking like, I probably don't always think they're funny just because I'm like, <laughs> I get it. You know, this is hard. And, and, oh. you know, I think one of the things I hear quite a bit, which again, isn't funny. It's, it's more a case of, you know, people will say, wow, I feel like I'm, I sound really superficial, but you know, this is, this is what I, I'd, I'd like to have. This is what I'm looking for. Um, you know, because it's like, that's who yeah. they are. Interesting. What kind, can you give examples of what kind of requests? Are- well, like, like, you know, they'll say, um, you know, a lot of our clients are people who are, they come from families where they have just achieved a lot and, you know, where people have, um, 
you know, they have advanced degrees, their families all have advanced degrees. That tribe is, you know, sort of a, a, its whole own tribe of being the highly educated. And that's who they relate to. It doesn't mean that they're going to reject, you know, it just they don't get a chance to get to know um, the, the young woman who, you know, might be their donor. But they want to find someone who sort of feels like they can fit. And not, not so much because of, oh, my gosh, this, you know, I, we won't be able to accept this child. They don't want that child to feel like, how did I get here? You know, and and so that's something or that, you know, I've dealt with women who are international supermodels. Now, granted, most of us aren't. Yes. I'm not. Yeah. But it's like, and, and again, it's not like they're not going to love this child. We all know people who are gorgeous and maybe their kids aren't gorgeous or, and, or the couple's you know, not all that attractive and they have these stunningly beautiful children, you know, it's not really that we can all control these things. They're just trying to kind of get their heads around this and get, you know, be able to have everyone feel like they belong or at least have some kind of control because they've had, they have zero control over this. They still have zero control, even if they pick someone who's their doppelganger, you know, (laughs) they still can't control exactly, you know, who their child's going to be. I see that a lot from my side, just as, as part of the grief yes. process as well. You know, that it's just a, that you're, you're grieving that you can't personally do this. So therefore you're going to find the absolute closest to you replacement that you can, you can find. And, and actually so I, I do see that. What I tell, tell people is look for someone who looks like they could fit into your family, who you like for who they are, not because they are just like you, just like you don't choose your friends because they're just like you. You don't want to choose your donor because you'll, you, you won't find anyone. If you're trying to find yourself, you're not going to find anyone. You'll be disappointed. But if you can appreciate the, the, the donor or the surrogate for who they are, then it's, it's just totally different because you can say, okay, they're not just like me, but I really yeah. like them. And I think that that's an important factor that, um, you know, someday, because I, I do encourage people to be very open with their children. And someday your child's going to say, so why did you choose her? <laughs> And you need to be able to say, I liked her. I just really liked her. You know, she, these are some of the things that she was interested in and, or this is what she had to say about her choice to be a donor or whatever it was that really resonated. You need to be able to say, I liked her. And then I think that gives your child, you know, a greater feeling of, oh, that's really nice. You know, hopefully you never know how children respond to anything, but just, um, but I think that's mm-hmm. important. Um, aside from your clients, do you have any kind of interesting stories or of people when you try to explain what you do? I mean, I know I have, I mean, I've just had it even in court as an attorney where I have a judge who has never heard of surrogacy before and starts asking, you know, questions of the um, the husband of the gestational carrier. They're really awkward and you're like, no, it's not her, it's not his child. And no, Um I'm curious if right. you kind of had those run-ins where people, you know, it's it's a interesting and new area that don't doesn't make sense yeah. to a lot of people. No, it's true. It doesn't make sense to most people who have not ever been involved in this, um, because you know I have cases of you know friends that are you know are physicians just in a totally different area, and they'll ask me about my work and and they'll say things like um, you know and and you know, we all kind of know that generally speaking, most of the time, you know, it's, it's going to be, uh, if you are working with a surrogate, that it's not going to be her eggs, not her genetic material. 
um, and that the egg donor is, you know, going to be providing the um, the eggs, and often, you know, in most cases, the husband's going to be providing the sperm, or something along those lines. But they can't quite get their head around that, you know, the donor's not pregnant, she's not carrying a baby, or that the surrogate, it's her baby, how can she give that up? It's like, no, it's not mm-hmm. her baby. Uh, right. you know, she's, it's, she's not genetically related. You know, she's doing this as a, you know, an act of, of love for someone else. And yes, she's being compensated, but it's something where, you know, she's already got kids. She doesn't really want to take another one home. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, they just, that's one of the things I think that people have a really hard time getting their heads around and just understanding the mechanics because it, it doesn't fall into what they're used to for how, you know, how, how families are, are created. Mm-hmm. Or, or actually another one that I think is kind of funny sometimes is just, um, and this tends to happen more with like, um, you know, sometimes very young, uh, gay couples who will say, well, we want her, we want our child to know their mom. It's like, uh, yeah. no, you, you know, remember you're in a, in a, in a different sort of family where your kids have two dads. This person is not the mom, the surrogate's not the mom, the donor's not the mom. You know, she is, yes, a genetic relative, but she's not the mom. So if you create your family by saying, oh, and this is the person who's your mom, then your child's always going to feel like there's something missing. <laughs> so it's like, no, 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 this is your family. Your family is, is you know, has two dads or your family has one dad or one mom or two moms. So it's something that I actually wrote a blog on that um, a while ago with getting help from many of our our um, our. our uh, LGBT mm-hmm. community within our field for their thoughts on that. So, um, because I was kind of running into that and trying to explain to these nice young men, like, yeah, it's not quite the same. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Yeah. We, we deal with a lot of, and I mean, I just, and I'm sure you probably see it as well. We, a lot of conversations about anonymity and mm-hmm. I mean, how do you counsel people about that? I know that, I mean, my viewpoint is starting to turn towards the anonymity is essentially a myth mm-hmm. now because of all of the, you know, the 23 and me and all those genetic sites out there. How do you, I mean, how do you address that with, with most people that, that come to you, especially dealing with the egg donor side? Um, well, I do really always encourage intended parents to be very open and not to try to strive for anonymity. But I also say to them that, you know, they know their family culture and they have to, you know, I, I can't tell them what's the best way for them to uh, handle things, but I do give them tips on ways to uh, to be open with their child and make it something that's always part of their um, the fabric of how their family was created. And I think it's important to look at how their family was created, not to focus on, um, and this is how you came into our family per se, because you don't want it to be somehow, you know, a weight on the child. This is how their family came together. So, um, you know, what I often will say to them is, um, you know, start talking during the pregnancy um, and, and sort of telling the child's story. And it's not because I think that the um, child is able to take that all in. It's more a case of, you know, they like hearing their, um, their parents' voice. Um, and it gives them a chance to kind of practice and, and feel more comfortable with how they will tell their child's story. They can also put together like a scrapbook so that they can, um, you know, say here, you know, mom, dad, or two dads, whatever, you know, this is the, the, we're all the stars, you know, and and you, the child. 
um, are, are the stars of the story and everyone else are those supporting players in this. You know, that's the, the doctor, the donor, the nurses, uh, the grandparents, all of that. They're all the supporting players for this is how we built our family. Um, but, you know, it depends. There are certain cultures where it's not going to be something that's uh, that they're going to be open because it's it would be um, taboo and, you know, they would have difficulty with the child being accepted. So I, I you know, that's not something where I can make I'm not going to make any judgment on that. I'm not going to make any judgment on any family, but I think it's better that if you're going to start telling your child, start really early. I know that there are some advice that say, you know, start by five. I think you need to start much earlier than that because um, I think if you wait until they're, like, they're five and try to tell them between the ages of five and 10, it, it's never the right time. If you start sort of right away, like when you're pregnant, I think it's, or, you know, when you can, they can first sit up and you've got this little book that you can share with them. I started reading to my kids when they were like, you know, as soon as they could sit up, you know, so it's like, they like hearing your voice. They'd start loving all of that. And kids love any stories about themselves. So it's something that always is part of their life and they don't think about it that much, you know, whereas it's a hard thing, I think, for parents to try to decide, okay, they're going to be turning five. Maybe I should tell them now. And there's, you know, it's like, it's so much harder. What do you do? Take them out for ice cream and be like, oh, this is, you know, it's like, no, it doesn't yeah. work that way. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and there are many ways to do it. And certainly there are many people who, you know, I, I actually work with some people now who, you know, their children are in their teens and they were advised when um, they, uh, you know, were going through their fertility treatment. Oh, no one ever needs to know. Their doctor didn't encourage them to talk about it. And now they're feeling like they should have, and they're trying to find their donor. Um, and, you know, just trying to decide how to go about this. I find actually most donors are very open to the idea of, you know, having communication and often, you know, often meeting at some point. So um, I think donors are far more uh, progressive than um, often people think they might be. So, um, and, you know, it's just like, it is a passion that they have and I don't feel like they're being exploited. I think that, but I do think that, that's why I really encourage um, anyone who wants to be a surrogate or anyone who wants to work with or needs a surrogate to go through an agency because agencies are there to help take care of things and make sure all of the legal um, you know, parameters are in place so that people don't wind up getting um, taken advantage of either side. And, and I've seen it happen on either side when people try to do this um, indepe- independently. You know, I always say that, you know, don't try this at home. It's, you know. Uh, g- going rogue is not a really good choice when it comes to either egg donation right. or surrogacy. Um, kind of an offshoot of that, of the controversy about exploitation of women is I've seen, especially recently, a lot of backlash and um, articles against um, quote unquote foreign intended parents. Um, I mean, as you know, many countries surrogacy is not permitted and in a lot of Europe and China. And so many of those couples who are unable to be lucky enough to have a child on their own and need help end up coming to countries like the United States to, um, to use a surrogate to help have their child. Um, so I've definitely seen articles recently saying, you know, we shouldn't be letting Chinese parents use surrogates here and use our, our women. Um, I, I mean, I think it's similar of that, this kind of idea of exploitation, but I wonder if you have like further thoughts when it comes to uh, people from other countries coming to the United States. Sure. No, I, I do. And, and I work with people coming from um, other countries all the time. 
um, who need to find a surrogate because they cannot do so in their own country. And sometimes they're able to use their own genetics and sometimes they're not. Um, and, you know, again, every surrogate it gets to have a choice in this because here in the U.S. it's not like here, you go do that for, you know, you go be a surrogate for these people and, you know, it, it's totally uh, uh, a, a business arrangement. That's not how we do it here. You know, it, it's something the surrogate gets to make that choice too. She decides whether or not she wants to be a surrogate for any intended parent, whether they're here in the U.S. or whether they're coming from another country. So um, I, I don't think, I mean, I just don't think that that's the case. I think you still have people who are, are acting compassionately. And I think we can't lump any, you know, we have to look at every, every intended parent individually and not lump them all together as, you know, this group or that group, you know, um, because they're coming from a different country. You know, there are many women, say, coming from China because of the um, the one child law for so many years, have had to have abortions, um, and they, their uteruses are 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 scarred, so that they cannot carry, so they don't really have an option. But now the the laws are a little bit uh, have softened a bit, um, or maybe they've risen to a, a level where they can pay the additional tax, so that they can then have um, a child or, or a second child, and so you know, they're, they're doing that. And I think you just have to look at every case individually. So that's kind of my thinking on that. And that's whether they're coming from China or any other country. Yeah. And, it's, and that, that leads us to another controversy we see and it both foreign and domestic intended parents, parents who are older. I mean, especially because China changed its policy. We're dealing with a lot of intended parents who are older, but also in the United States, we have put off our fertility a, a lot. It, you know, so we're seeing a lot. I mean, are you seeing, a, what, are, what are you seeing for uh, older intended parents? Are you seeing backlash? Are you seeing a lot more? Where, what is your perspective on that? Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm seeing more, but but we def, we do see older parents, and I think that um, one of the things that we do in terms of, of making that decision determination um, is again you have to look at every um, every couple or individual individually um, because often if you have often there'll be you know one intended parent that is younger, the other intended parent that is older, and so kind of looking at that and any any intended parent that has to go forward with, um, particularly with a surrogate, um, they're going to have to designate who it would be the um, legal guardian of that child if something happened to them. That's going to be true whether you're 35 or you're 55. And it's something that, you know, even the 35-year-old could develop cancer or get hit by a bus. Um, so it's sort of you, you anticipate that a 35-year-old would be able to, you know, around for the lifespan of their child. But, you know, it's, it is unpredictable. So with an older parent, you know, they, that much more so, that's a conversation I always have. It's like, let's talk about your case. What would happen if something did happen to you? Hopefully nothing will, of course, but um, who would then take care of your, your child? And it's sort of, you know, I feel comforted if one, they have a doctor that is willing to work with them. And two, that they have thought through who will help take care of their child. So those are the things that I, I think about um, because, you know, we're all living a lot longer. The, a lot of, of the clients that I work with are super fit and healthy. Um, and just because they are, you know, maybe 
51 or 55 or something like that doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to be around for the child. No, I, I completely understand the concern, especially if you have, you know, 85 year olds who want a child that you, you know, they're not going to make college graduation of that child. But at the same time, I have to tell you as a woman, I feel really incensed that, you know, for decade, you know, forever, older men have been having children. You know, I think Billy Joel in his late sixties, maybe just had another child. And it's like, congratulations. That's so great. But for a woman, if they have a child in older age, that is unethical. That's, I just feel like there's such a double standard that drives me crazy. Right. For so many things, but that's oh, yeah, no, it's wondering. true. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and I see more and more, you know, older women with younger husbands. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, we see that too. Um, so, and this is kind of one of those things that a lot of people who would be listening to this podcast won't know some of the the background stuff, the the controversies that we hear swirling in the background, but uh, a big one, and I'd, I'd love to hear your take on this, that has been making the rounds within the surrogacy professionals is um, intended parents who want to use more than one surrogate at a time. And what are your, your thoughts on that, your feelings on that? Um, well, that's a good question. And I'd say that my feeling on that is because single embryo transfer is the norm these days, and for very good reasons, um, because certainly um, even a twin pregnancy, which many people think, great, we'll do twins, we'll be you know, one and done, and, but carrying a twin pregnancy can be difficult and dangerous for the, um, the surrogate. It could also be, um, you know, there are so many more um, health and birth defects that can occur when carrying a twin pregnancy for the the twins themselves. They almost always wind up being born early, spending a fair amount of time in the uh, the neonatal unit, and there's much higher chance of, you know, learning um, issues and, and cerebral palsy and so many other things. I really encourage intended parents to only do single embryo transfer. So with that in mind... It's, there are intended parents that may choose to have, and I usually don't want to see them do using more than two at any given point in time. Um, But, you know, that where they might have two surrogates, each doing a single embryo transfer. So in the end, they would wind up having twins. And, you know, I, I don't see where that should be. That's, I think, a very wise and healthy decision. And if someone can afford to do it that way, because frankly, it can be more expensive doing um, a double embryo transfer and having twins. Um, it's it all it, it actually can be a better scenario if you know if they can afford to have um, you know two uh, surrogates and you know have them and they can have a relationship with two surrogates. That's not such a big big issue. In fact, there are some that go through this as a, a uh, as sister surrogates doing um, sibling cycles. Um, that sounds like sort of a good blog, uh, <laughs> but, um, good alliteration, yeah. Yeah. um, but you know, it, it's something where, you know, they know they're working together on this and they're, they're, it's, it's not a big secret and they're, they're, you know, kind of there to support each other and the intended parents and in many cases are going to be, you know, having that relationship too. So everybody's going into it. It's not like they're, you know, they're unaware and, and they feel hurt or, or misled in some way. It's something that they're aware of. And so I think that um, I think it's a healthier and safer route to go. And and especially when you're dealing with people who are are coming from another country, it may be something where this is the best way for them to do this rather than 
planning on having to come back in two or three years to do it again. You know, it's sort of, it, it's, they're able to, uh, you know, they, they're able to support twins or twiblings as we call them, you know, if they are <laughs> born from different women. Um, and uh, I, I don't, I don't see it as being a negative. Mm-hmm. Um, just to, to kind of round up our controversy section, have you seen other one, other scenarios that kind of really made you think, you know, you weren't, it wasn't black or white, whether that made sense to go forward or you really had questions. I, I know one scenario that comes to mind for me is um, talking to, to parents who've lost a child, maybe in their 20s. And part of the reason why they want to, to go through surrogacy or having their child is kind of this idea of um, that loss and filling that, that gap. And I know you know, I, I definitely sometimes have second thoughts about what that means and what that looks like. Um, so I'm curious about what you've seen that kind of made you made you pause or and how you you dealt with it. Right. Well, and and again, I, I have helped um, uh, couples who have had a loss, and and I think again, you you have to look at each case um, individually. So um, because I think any couple that's going forward to try and and um, and, you know, because I think it's more seen as a healing process um, and, you know, not so much a, you can't replace a child. And I don't think any of these people are seeing it as a replacement. Um, but, you know, so, so one case I had many years ago was um, a couple who had a child that, um, that um, died, at, you know, as a toddler and just a, a freak thing that occurred in terms of um, a health issue. And, um, so they, they actually, I, the, the doctor, uh, reached out to me to say that, um, it, could I help them? And, you know, in this case, they had, um, worked through things, you know, very well. And, and I think were you know, very comfortable and, and ready to go forward with this. You know, they had kind of done their grieving. They were really in a very good, uh, mental state to be able to go forward. And I am happy to say that they have gorgeous twins. And yeah, so it's sort of like, it was a wonderful thing. Um, And I've had others that, you know, I think it was still a bit raw. And so in those cases, I feel a little bit more like they need time. They need time to think through and grieve. And and though they're in a hurry to move forward, um, I feel like it's a little bit, you know, that they, they really should take some time to think through this before they do move forward. But if they, you know, as I said, if, if they seem like they're in the right place, they have had some good counseling, they're ready and they have you know, a physician who is ready to help them. I'm more than happy to help them. So if somebody is, you know, starting off, you know, this is the, they come to you first and they know very little about surrogacy or what this journey might entail. What is your biggest, best, I won't say number one, because you can give definitely more than one piece of advice, but your best advice for, for people who are just starting either on looking for an egg donor, because they've just been told or looking for a surrogate because maybe their eggs are okay, but they do need a surrogate. Aside from oh, right. a donor concierge, obviously. <laughs> well, yeah. No, no, they, they've already okay. come to her at this point. That's uh-huh. what, what, what her <laughs> best <laughs> advice is. Sure, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> biggest and best advice for, for surrogacy, because I've already sort of talked about the egg donor part of it. Um, yeah, no, that's fine. Surrogacy. I mean, especially for, I mean, especially because you especially deal with intended parents. I mean, but we can also then go into what you would advise for gestational carriers as well. But but first, for intended parents who came to you, what would be your best advice, you know, as they're starting off this process? 
Um, my best advice is to um, to try not to have any preconceived ideas as to exactly who they want their surrogate to be. Because um, I sort of sometimes jokingly say that, you know, couples will say, well, you know, I want someone like my yoga teacher, you know, um, and, um, and just, you know, you, you have to be open to, um, you have, just have to be open, I think. And, and to look at the, um, the, each surrogate, you know, sort of for their own characteristics and, and what's going to make them, well, actually what I come, comes right down to is I always say to intended parents, one, let's look at what your doctor is, is, feels is appropriate for a surrogate. And we go very strongly with the AOSRM guidelines. So that's, you know, we want to make sure that, that the, um, the individual women are, of course, very healthy, sound, have good support systems, um, and, you know, that have, you know, good communication skills. Those are the things that are really most important. Um, and so, and, and then beyond that, you know, it's like, do you feel like you could have a good relationship with this person, have good communication? Um, those are the things I think are most important and, and to, to trust the, your, your surrogate because she's had children of her own and granted, maybe she didn't eat organic the whole time, you know, or ever, you know, but, but, you know, let go of that unless you're willing to pay for that for her. Um, and, and just trust that she's going to do a good job. She's going to take care of, of, you know, but it's a hard thing. That's a hard thing for her. So, so that leads me to actually what, what for, um, for women who are choosing to be surrogates, and I'd say, just remember how- only organic. No. Oh, yeah. only eat don't organic. don't go near a microwave. Yeah, That's right. No microwaves. No cat pans. Right. No, you know. <laughs> so um, don't use a cell phone. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> um, because they're you know I I yeah we won't even go to some of these things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Do we need to go back to the strangest requests part? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I I did have have a uh, intended parent that put in a whole new filter system. For her, wow. her surrogate, oh. her, her water In, system, her water water filter, system. water filter wow. system for because she was you know she's just very concerned about another one who like made sure she they, they got her special vitamins that she was supposed but to she take. was her her water filter she was in a third world country right not uh, no she oh, was, in the United States it was here, it was here in, in California and <laughs> no okay fair enough fair. yeah no we I don't send anybody to third world country no. So I would have appreciated having somebody replace my water system instead of me having to lug those bottles in all the time. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, I would say for um, for the, the gestational carrier, just to just remember that these women have been through a lot, an awful, a, a lot of loss. And so, you know, when you have a positive pregnancy and you expect your intended parents to be jumping up and down, you know, they're used to having a positive pregnancy and then a few weeks later having a big loss. So just you know, keep that in mind, and that how would you, how would they feel if someone took one of their children and kept them for nine months, yeah. forty weeks, and they couldn't see right. them and they couldn't talk to them? How you know? Just keep that perspective in mind because you are kind of the you know super caring and 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 super you know thoughtful um, individual that is babysitting their baby for 40 weeks. And, you know, just, just remember that it's hard. Um, and it's hard on both sides because it's like, you know, most women who have been surrogates have had, you know, really easy pregnancies. And so they can be much more, you know, kind of relaxed about all of this, but not for the intended parents. They've had so many losses before they come to you. Right. Which is why Ugh. women often like 
gay dads because that's right. No, I know because it's sort of they they, uh, are are not dealing with quite the same baggage. So right, so they they could have had losses as well. So fair enough. Yeah, Um, this has been incredible. I I really appreciate all your expertise and your your thoughts. Any any closing remarks or thoughts you want to share before we we finish? Uh, I, I should be saying yes, but I can't think of anything. <laughs> it's okay. Great. No, <laughs> no requirement. Um, well, I want to thank you so much. This has been um, been great, and I really appreciate you being willing to, to share your expertise and letting people hear all these great great words of advice and thoughts. Well, thank you. I really appreciate uh, having the opportunity, and, and uh, let me know if there's anything else, any other holes that need to be filled. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Thank you, Gail. Sure. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Lesson of the day. I think our interview really shows that there are a number of really interesting and complicated and serious issues when it comes to assisted reproductive technology and surrogacy, especially. Uh, surrogacy is illegal in much, most, in much of the world, and there are there are real concerns that have caused governments to do that. And I think there there are so many issues that really deserve real consideration, both for the negative effects and for the the positive effects of real lives that can be changed in a positive way, too, by being thoughtful and careful about how assisted reproductive technology is used in our in our society. So if you want to make a positive impact on us, you can thoughtfully and carefully go leave us an iTunes review. We would love it. It helps uh, with iTunes so that people, more people can find us. So we would just, we would love your, your thoughtful, you know, take on what, how you feel about us here. Additionally, if you're interested in continuing this conversation, uh, want to talk to other people who are like-minded, please go over to Patreon and join our Patreon community with a small subscription fee. You can actually be invited to our Slack channel where you can continue any and all conversations with anybody, of course, interact with us and see how, what we, our takes are. And of course, ask us, even direct us as to who you'd love to hear on our show. Uh, in addition, you will have access to bonus content and get to hear our, our bonus episodes. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for further episodes and shout out to Chris Wright at work at bird studios in Denver for all his help. Thanks. Bye.